Ezekiel chapter 24. In the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth day, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, record this date, this very date, because the king of Babylon has laid siege to Jerusalem this very day. Tell this rebellious house a parable and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Put on the cooking pot, put it on and pour water into it. Put into it the pieces of meat, all the choice pieces, the leg and the shoulder. Fill it with the best of these bones, take the pick of the flock. Pile wood beneath it for the bones, bring it to the boil and cook the bones in it. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the city of bloodshed, to the pot now encrusted, whose deposit will not go away. Empty it piece by piece without casting lots for them. For the blood she shed is in her midst. She poured it on the bare rock. She did not pour it on the ground where the dust would cover it. To stir up wrath and take revenge, I put her blood on the bare rock so that it would not be covered. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Woe to the city of bloodshed. I too will pile the wood high. So heap on the wood and kindle the fire. Cook the meat well, mixing in the spices, and let the bones be charred. Then set the empty pot on the coals till it becomes hot, and its copper glows so that so its impurities may be melted and its deposit burned away. It has frustrated all efforts. Its heavy deposit has not been removed, not even by fire. Now your impurity is lewdness. Because I tried to cleanse you, but you would not be cleansed from your impurity, you will not be clean again until my wrath against you has subsided. I, the Lord, have spoken. The time has come for me to act. I will not hold back. I will not have pity, nor will I relent. You will be judged according to your conduct and your actions, declares the Sovereign Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for bringing us here today. Uh, thank you that it's so warm in here. Uh, help us not to fall asleep. Help me not to fall asleep. Keep me from error, we pray. We ask that uh, as we turn to your word that we might be encouraged, we might be strengthened, we might be corrected, we might be challenged. All these things we ask in your precious and our precious Saviour's name. Amen. Justice for All is the title of Ezekiel chapter 24 to 32. It's one of those uh, passages in the Bible where uh, it's not that great to talk about. It's not that great to hear. But as people say in the biz, uh, you have to do the hard bits as well as the good bits. So that's this bit. So hang in there. Hypothermia is a terrible way to die, they tell me. 
I've had this checked by the last congregation in Wentworth Falls where there was a GP sitting there and he kept nodding, so I got this right. So this is not just one of those things that ministers cut and paste from certain illustration books. And when you get a, a hypothermia, a person can be extremely cold. They become violently shivering. That we understand. It leads to a profound tiredness, a weariness, a feeling of heaviness. You don't really know what's going on. You end up quite confused. Your sense of time and distance starts to fade and get mingled. You tend to start making illogical and what looks like to others silly decisions. Gradually, if you're suffering from hypothermia, you become disorientated. You start having hallucinations. And the last cruel deception or misconception can happen. In the final stages of hypothermia, a victim becomes convinced that the one thing they aren't is cold. Uh, there have been uh, stories of hikers and people found outside their tents lying half naked in snowbanks, fully convinced that they were so hot that they crawled out of their clothes, their sleeping bags, whatever they had that was trying to keep them warm, they crawled out of them because they were boiling up. They were deceived. They were wrong. Though they were actually freezing to death, they actually thought they were burning up. It's a terrible, insidious thing, hypothermia. A lot of people suffer from spiritual hypothermia. Now, I was a chaplain, you might know, or you might remember, or maybe I just told you, uh, in a hospital. And one of the things that was common, which won't surprise you, is that people thought they were really quite good, that them and God were actually good mates, that uh, it came, uh, I used to follow this through this line, so I would ask gentle questions, and it was sometimes very obvious that I actually, uh, that was just something you said to the chaplain, and that really God had not really been given much thought of ever and probably won't be after we finish our conversation. It's this terrible thing when you meet someone with spiritual hypothermia. Our nation definitely thinks of itself like that when it's pushed at times. It starts to say things, but we're, it's still, I was amazed that we still say this, we're a Christian country. I've heard that not too long ago. We used to hear that all the time. Once. Sometimes we don't hear that. But sometimes when we're pushed, people still talk like that. A lot of people are actually very cold to our God, and yet they think they're quite warm. Their relationship with him is quite distant, but they somehow perceive it as being very close. Ezekiel 24 to 32 is one of those chapters where God warns you when you think you're like that. It's a warning about being deluded about God. 
no matter how good we might think we are, it's actually not our opinion that counts. It's not the opinion that matters most. It's God opinions, as you might know, that carries all the weight. Secondly, there's a turning point, and we just read the turning point in Ezekiel. Chapter 24 is that turning point. Jerusalem is now under siege, if you read verse 1 with me. In the ninth year, in the tenth month of the tenth day, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, record this date, this very date, because the king of Babylon has laid siege to Jerusalem this very day. Jump with me to verse 14 of chapter 24. I, the Lord, have spoken. The time has come for me to act. I will not hold back. I will not have pity, nor will I relent. You will be judged according to your conduct and your actions, declares the sovereign Lord. As I said, this is the turning point in the book. As we haven't read all 23 chapters, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, it's full of Ezekiel giving God's message. And God's message is judgment is coming for your sins. The Babylonians are coming from the north. I am coming to judge. And the end has started in 24. It's a message that has been brought to the exiles in Babylon, to the people who Ezekiel is with and speaking to. Back in Jerusalem, this siege has started. Jerusalem is a walled city. You knew that, didn't you? Which means that the Babylonians have come to siege it. It's a siege is a word we're familiar with now, aren't we, at the moment, with the siege of Kiev. We have to pronounce it Kiev now, not Kiev. It's Kiev and Liv and other places like that. Sieges are something we're familiar. It means the Babylonians are pressing on all sides. That's probably what it means. And why, that, why do they do that? <clears throat> they cut the population off from food. They hope to cut them off from water. And eventually they start pressing on the walls and testing out where's the weak spots and they find them and they start chipping away at those spots. And eventually they breach the walls and they go in. That's the end that Ezekiel has been speaking about. He's played out. He's lied down on his side. He's done all sorts of things to say this is going to happen. Ezekiel has acted it out, and now it has come. But Ezekiel has given a very personal blow as well, which is what we, we haven't read that, and it's a hard passage to read and perhaps a hard one to hear. Verse 15. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, with one blow. I'm about to take away from you the delight of your eyes. You do not lament or weep or shed any tears. Groan quietly. Do not mourn for the dead. Keep your turban fastened and your sandals on your feet. Do not cover the lower part of your face or eat the customary food of mourners. So I spoke to the people in the morning and in the evening, my wife died. 
The next morning I did as I had been commanded. It's a shocking thing to read, a shocking episode for obviously Ezekiel to go through, the delight of his eyes, as as we're told here. Ezekiel's wife dies. We realise all life is in God's hands. We realise that her death is in God's timing, so to speak, and her death is used by God. It happens for Ezekiel so that he might communicate how the exiles are to respond to the news in Jerusalem. For his wife's death reflects the demise of that city, the royal city. The siege has started and the exiles are soon to experience what it means to lose the place that they love. It's the place where they know the glory, the glory of its buildings, the glory of its temple. It's the place where they know their heritage. It's the place where some of their loved ones obviously probably still live. It's a loss that they must face. It's a loss that God has been speaking to them about. It's a loss that must come. For the siege will lead to Jerusalem's demise but it also will lead to the place where God has anger has been spent. They've been, it feels funny when you say that sort of stuff, but you, we've skipped 23 chapters of this is going to happen, this is going to happen. We've had other prophets coming warning what will happen if we don't turn, if they don't stop what they're doing. But it, now it has come. Ezekiel's wife dies. And Ezekiel does what he's been instructed to do. I can't imagine what that would have been like. He does not lament or wail. He doesn't cry. He's allowed to inwardly sigh, but he's to carry on as normal. It's a personal tragedy for a man who's had to endure so much. Uh, It's a real sense uh, that uh, ministry does cost. And he plays a big cost here. Ezekiel's actions, though, are a sign to the exiles. They can do nothing. It's happened. They've been told that it was coming and now it is here. The only thing they can do is to come back to their God and to continue in his ways. They're obviously not going to be happy about what happens to Jerusalem. Again, this is the place that they love. It's the place they hope to come back to. They will come back to, which is the message they're about to get. But they're to go forward to listen to what God says to them. God has come to them in their exile. He has spoken to them. And now these things have happened. And you'll remember why when these things happen, what will they know has been amongst them? That's right, a prophet. I had to pretend that you gave me the answer because no one did. A prophet has been amongst them. They will know that God has been speaking to them. They will know that crazy Ezekiel is not so crazy after all. 
that the Lord is in control. Ezekiel hasn't been able to speak. We've missed that bit through here, but now he can speak again. And when he speaks, he does something very unusual. Ironically, God's message, which is from Ezekiel, comes and turns away from Israel because, as he's been saying, this is how we go forward. God will deal with that, and then you can go forward into a new future. But what God turns his attention to now is the contents of chapters 24 to 32. It's seven nations, the nations that are around him, not Israel, but other nations that are in the neighbourhood. Why does he use seven? I can assure you there were more. He uses seven because it's a number that does convey completeness. Fullness. How many days are there in a week? Seven. You got that one. You didn't get profit, but you got the seven. This is God's judgment to the full world. That's what this passage is saying. That's their world. God speaks to it. And chapter 27 is the representative chapter we're going to look at. Do you remember a little ship called the Titanic? One of the best rooms, uh, the modern uh, best room in the Titanic costs about $120,000. That's pretty, that's a lot. It had every safety feature known at the time. It had 13 watertight compartments. The captain, actually, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not. Do you know what apocryphal means? Uh, Someone made it up, I think. I don't know. But the captain supposedly said not even God himself could sink this ship. I don't know if he said that or not. But anyway, it sounded good and it sounded like it really belonged there. Chapter 27 is about Tyre and it's pictured as an impregnable ship, a magnificent vessel, a bit like the Titanic. Uh, Chapter 27, verse 25, if you read with me. The ships of Tarshish serve as carriers for your wares. You are filled with heavy cargo in the heart of the sea. Your oarsmen take you out to the high seas, but the east wind will break you to pieces in the heart of the sea. Your wealth, merchandise and wares, your mariners, your seamen, your shipwrights, your merchants, all your soldiers and everyone else on board will sink into the heart of the sea on the day of your shipwreck. The word from God is Tyre's ship will unceremoniously sink. Why? Chapter 28, verse 2. Son of man, say to the ruler of Tyre, this is what the Lord says, in the pride of your heart you say, I am a God. I sit on the throne of a God in the heart of the seas. But you are not a man. Uh, you are not. You are a man, not a god. Though you think you're as wise as a god. Tyre's king is proud and obstinate in his power. And at the moment, we have a nation which uh, maybe it's Western propaganda, but we think of uh, Mr. Putin seems to sit there and seems to say the same thing in himself. I have the power to do what I want to do. History is full of people who have thought like that. 
Our society is full of people like that. <laughs> we can be like that. But we think we're in control. We think we can act and do what we want to do. But we can't. Verse 17 of chapter eight, eight to, uh, 28 also tells us that the tires people are not without fault. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. Tyre's pride, her injustices have brought her down, brought her to an end. As I said, Tyre is one of the seven nations that chapters 24 to 32 talks about. We're not going to look at every nation. But what it says is that God has a message to our world, is that God is in control. The God, remember the vision from the start of the book where God sees all, he knows all. That means the good and the bad. God's message to the world is he rules and he will hold the wrongs and the evils and the injustices and to account. Though you think, though our nations, our worlds, great kings have always thought they could do what they wanted to do, the message of Ezekiel passes on to Israel is not only am I concerned with you, I'm concerned with the whole world and I will hold it to account and I will do with it what I do. It's not a great message, is it, as we come to the end, you feel like it's actually been quite hard, this chapter. We know no one can stand God's judgments. There is no one who can stand up to the searching gauge of the gaze of God's justice, the opening vision that sees all and knows all. God sees it, knows it, and will hold it all, us all, every ruler, every person to account. It means that uh, I suppose we could secondly say everyone needs Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. There's not a person we meet this week who doesn't need Jesus. Our neighbours, our family, and we all have people in our family who need Jesus. Our workmates, no matter how nice they seem to be, no matter how nice you are, we all need to hear about Jesus. For Jesus is the one who rescues us from this searching gaze, this judgment. We see that ministry is costly, that uh, Ezekiel had to endure so much and he was needed to have his heart, even be prepared to have his heart broken here. We're all called to ministry, as you know. All of us are ministers to one another and to be God's representative in our world. But we need to prepare ourselves for that cost. It can be costly, disappointing. You can be let down. You can be let down by people like me. We've been good at letting people down. So if you've had someone like me let you down, I apologise. 
Your own needs may not be met in ministry. You need to be prepared for that. It can be costly, but we are called to it like Ezekiel. But lastly, really, Ezekiel and this sort of chapter really reminds us of our need of Jesus, what it cost him to minister to us, to minister to our world. Jesus was prepared to give everything for us, for his world. As we heard this morning in the children's talk, it's all his. He acted and he needed to act for it. God acted for our world in Jesus. Though the world might reject him, and we'll have to give an account for that, as rulers rule and do their things despite what he says, they will have to give an account for that. For us, Christ's coming has given us hope. Because just as what happens in this book, God's judgment comes on them and then they can move on. God's judgment came on the person of our Lord Jesus, who was willing. I'm pretty sure that came up in the children's talk. He was willing to die in our place. It didn't just happen to him. He didn't find, he didn't get just told like poor old Ezekiel, this is going to happen to you. He actually willingly took our place. And his death was for us in our world. For all those who call on him, he has taken us and freed us from death, sin, and judgment. We will all face, we'll all have to give an account for what we have done. Yet Christ has stepped in for us to make us free. Christ has given us hope. Because this chapter is actually pretty doomsday-ish. It's pretty sad. But Christ came because God wanted you at his side. Christ came because he's known you before creation. He knew you before the world was created. He knows you by name. Christ came and rose to eternity to make sure you have a place in that eternity. We give thanks for that hope and we praise his name. Let's pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we realise that today's message is uh, maybe a bit hard to hear, certainly hard to hear about some of the things Ezekiel had to suffer, but it's also hard to hear, perhaps. But also comforting that, Lord, that things are not done in a corner, that those injustices, that evil that happens in our world will be judged. You are a God who knows. You are a God who's in control. We realise that in our world things happen and it bewilders us. But your word tells us that, Lord, you know that nothing happens without your approval, without your control. And that, Father, we know that you hold all those who do wrong to account. 
Father, we have realised we are not the people we should be, but we realise that you are forgiven us in Jesus. Lord, we realise we have not lived the way we should, but you've opened for us a new way, a new and living way in your hope and in your future. Father, we realise that uh, we sometimes fail and feel like we can't go on. But, Father, you've called us to ministry. You've called us to live for your name. You've called us to live for our Saviour, Jesus, that we might proclaim his glory, live his way, and hope and be together in your future. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, and we worship you this day. Please strengthen us and give us grace, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.